Before we get into the show, a quick reminder to check out and subscribe to the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. Each week, he's doing deep dives into breweries, talking with journalists covering the beer space, and unpacking a lot of what makes the beer industry so interesting. Find the Beer Edge podcast wherever you download shows. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. This week, I'm really glad to welcome Alan Sprints to the show. He's the founder of Hair of the Dog, an Oregon brewing institution that values history, layered flavors, and the overall experience that comes with imbibing strong beers. But first up, we're able to bring you the show each week thanks to these advertisers. Stomp Stickers. Stump is a proud member of the Brewers Association that produces a wide variety of printed brewery products, such as beer labels, keg collars, coasters, beer boxes, and much more. Stump's website features an easy-to-use design tool, low-quantity orders, fast turnaround times, and free domestic shipping. Visit stompstickers.com and use code DRINKBEER15 for 15% off your first order. And we're also brought to you by NZ Hops a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. Alan Sprintz wanted to be a chef, but the hours were going to be terrible and he wanted to raise a family. So he went into beer. While the hours might not have been all that much better, it was actually to the great benefit to all of us because his dedication to styles that were not in the mainstream or even sessionable meant the creation of building blocks that the entire U.S. craft industry stands on today. From the early days to cellaring beers brewed to last, to legacy and beyond, he does not hold back in this discussion. And I was so happy to record this episode because it's a show that I've wanted to do for years. And so I'm just going to get right into it with me starting off by asking about his culinary influences. Here's our conversation. So you found your way into beer through a culinary route, right? I moved to Portland to go to culinary school and always envisioned that I would become a famous chef. But working in the culinary field was a lot um, tougher on a family life than I envisioned. You know, working nights and holidays is tough to have a family. So I was newly married and I really wanted to have a family. So I envisioned brewing as being a more predictable job, something that had more regular hours. And when I started brewing, it did. I was filling kegs and working Monday through Friday. How quickly did that change, though? Uh, I think I was at Widmer for uh, about six months, five or six months when I became a brewer. And then I started working seven at night till three in the morning. So, so that's was, six, that's six months worth of normalcy. And then. Yeah, I was right back to where I was. Yeah. And I really wasn't making a beer that I was very proud of. So I wanted to do something that I was proud of. And I thought if I'm not making any money. I might as well do that for myself. Yeah. And when you first started, though, I mean, it was still a novel concept. It was it was tough to say, uh, you know, tough to tough, not necessarily to break into, but um, it wasn't the industry that it is today. Right. Yeah. um, You know, it was a very pioneering feeling. There was a lot of uh, the very first breweries here in Portland, uh, Portland Brewing and Bridgeport and Widmer were, you know, within a few years of opening. And so things were very new. Uh, The kind of beers that I wanted to make were only made by breweries at holiday time. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the beers that inspired you early on. And 
you know, there, there's something interesting about seasonals, right? We're, we're just coming out of Oktoberfest season. And every year around this time, I start hearing from people saying, uh, I would drink Martzen's, I would drink Fest beer, I would drink Oktoberfest year round if somebody made it. And so when you're talking about beers that people would only make in and around the holidays or for the holidays, um, did you see a market for having these things on, on, on offer more regular, like more than just well, what was common? You know, I didn't really understand marketing or sales or any of those things that are kind of important to, to know when you start a business. Yeah. I was just enthusiastic and I really wanted to make the kind of beers that I liked making. And so I envisioned that there would be a demand for them. Unfortunately, you know, the most popular things are what everybody's looking for. Yeah. And so there are a handful of people that want those esoteric beer styles. And I actually thought that people who own bars were the ones who wanted to expose people to new and different things. Unfortunately, there's, there's only <laughs> one or two of those in every state. Yeah. You know, they're out there. And, you know, I met those people that uh, own those kind of bars that really uh, put profit behind exposing people to new things. But that's not not normal. Right. Uh, so and I that's, got pretty and that's, quick. That's, that's one tap versus the other 16 that are all high volume movers. And when I started, uh, a, a bar would only have you know, two or three taps for craft beer yeah. for micro beers. They, and they already were full with Bridgeport, Portland and Whitmer. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of hard to get a handle. And so we started bottle only. When you, I got a little bit ahead of my, uh, over my skis where, where I wanted to sort of back up onto the culinary aspect of things. Um, because over the years of drinking your beers and you know, having visited the brewery in the past and having conversations with you in person over time uh, where bottles have been opened, I, I've always been enamored with the layers in your beers and the, you know, the, the overall experience from start to finish. And as a beer warms and, you know, all, all of the different, you know, all of the different sensations that come with, um, experiencing the beers that you're making, especially, you know, some of the older ones or some of the more aged ones or uh, the more potent beers uh, that, 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 that you've done over the years. When you're creating a beer recipe, are you thinking back to your aspiring culinary days? Like, are you trying to build a full experience and not just an end product? Uh, yeah, I think my experience in the kitchen has definitely helped my perception of flavor, um, but also drinking beer. You know, I've been drinking beer for uh, 50 years, over 50 years now. And uh, I know what I like and what I don't like. And uh, I think one of the reasons that I'm unusual is that we're able to make the kind of beers that I enjoy drinking and not necessarily have a study group that tells us what we should be making. And a lot of breweries really rely on market research and those things that they teach you in school uh, and are probably a lot more successful than I am. But I've been real proud that we're able to produce the kind of weird beers that we've made over the years uh, and that other people like the kind of flavors that I do. Yeah, I can't say I invented these things. Really, I was inspired by beers that I drank. And so I'm you know, in a way trying to mingle some of those flavors that I was exposed to in different beers and put them into a beer. When you're talking about weird beers though, in 2021, that can mean, I, I you know, really weird things or eye roll inducing back in the nineties when, you know, you were, you were messing around with some of this stuff. What was, what was weird? What was considered weird back then? Well, the Adam beer was 10% alcohol and it was dark. And so people used to, to taste it and then put the glass down and ask me what the hell that was. They didn't even see it as beer. But they'd taste it first, right? Before, before asking you? 
Yes, they, okay. they tasted it. Although, you know, in Oregon, it's legal to do uh, tastings in supermarkets. And some people don't want to be bothered when they're shopping. And I used to get people would kind of cover their eye and walk by looking the other way. And not everybody was willing to try beer in the supermarket. But I feel like that's a uh, missed opportunity, like in a state was, where that's not allowed now. But my sister-in-law lives in uh, Nashville and they have a bar inside of the grocery store and you can get a walking around beer, which is just. Wow. It's delightful. Very civilized. I would Very have civil- loved to have seen you in the dairy aisle, you know, offering me a 10% Adam. That would have been. Yeah. I used to uh, use chocolate <laughs> to convince people uh, that it was worth tasting. And so I said, you had to, to taste them together. Uh, and people were very surprised that uh, beer and chocolate were actually uh, a good combination. Yeah. Um, but that Adam beer, yeah, was uh, quite delicious. So I think it helped us. Uh, but we went through a lot of chocolate. <laughs> Not as much beer. Those little kids used to put their arms up over the table and just grab all a handful of chocolate. Uh, yeah, those were the days. Do you miss it? No. <laughs> I mean, I miss those days in a way, the kind of the spirit of camaraderie that the breweries had. Uh, we still get a lot of help from other brewers, but it's so hard to know who the people are now. Yeah. We used to go to meetings and know everybody. And now I, the brewery names are familiar, but the people who work there, I, yeah, they're not familiar at all. When did you see uh, the, the sea change? Um, it's been a gradual change. Um, uh, definitely over the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, but I noticed uh, business-wise that things have changed. Um, we used to be one of the new brewers. And so we kind of had a little bit of a boost from people that wanted to find out what was new and different. Uh, and, you know, the... We're not quite the new brewer anymore, so we've lost a little of that momentum. Uh, and I started to see things change a little bit that way. Um, we still have uh, some amazing fans, and one of the reasons that I'm still doing this is because people enjoy the beers and are surprised by the way they taste. And I've kind of discovered that one of the best compliments that I get is from people that say, this tastes great, but it doesn't taste like beer. And the idea that I can show people that beer can be something they haven't tasted uh, is a thrill for me. Is that a lot of the beer that you first put out onto the marketplace, you know, where people didn't want to look at you in the grocery store and you're resurrecting old styles or you're, you know, you're, you're bringing something that was new, um, at the time to the market, even if it wasn't necessarily a new style. Um, Where do those styles fit in today? Well, now it's much more common to find a brewery that makes strong beers and barrel aged beers. Uh, And so I don't think I'd get the same reaction today because there's so many other brewers making those kind of beers, but the people that I was tasting were used to, mainstream American uh, premium Pilsners. Yeah. And they couldn't be farther from Adam beer. Uh, so I think those people were very shocked that, that, you know, this is beer. Beer is, no, beer is something else. In fact, I tell the story all the time. I was doing sales and I went into a very famous bar downtown Portland, still around. And uh, the owner of the bar told me it was not fair to make beer that was 10% alcohol that if people wanted to drink something that was 10% alcohol, they'd drink wine or mixed drink. And that beer is supposed to be 5% alcohol. And he's never going to pour my beer. And this was the first few months after we started selling beer. And it's like, really, this is what people are going to tell me. (laughs) Well, I mean, you said you weren't good at marketing or market research in advance. (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's not really on him as much as it is on you. But nowadays, so many more people have been exposed to those things that I don't get that shocked reaction anymore. I like to, to kind of read people's lips when they taste the beers and see they say, oh, oh my gosh, or wow, or uh, it was general surprise. Uh, I tell people that we try to deliver more than we promise. Uh, 
And so it's nice when somebody can be surprised by the flavor in a beer. I guess I, 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 I guess I didn't phrase that question the right way. Cause I, and that's an interesting answer, but I, I'm, there are closing in on 10,000 breweries in the country now. And there are brewers that are doing, you know, that have barrel programs that have strong ales that have uh, all manners of, you know, either trying to recreate historical styles, whether or not they're doing it well or not. Um, people are sort of inundated with that. Um, as far as craft consumers go, I guess I was, I, I was more curious as to with the, with the, the youngest crop of craft beer consumers, you know, the, the very, you know, the, the 21, the 22 year olds, are you able to have conversations with them or does the longevity of your brewery? I, I don't know, not hurt you, but like, is, is it tough to have the conversation because, you know, maybe like, you know, their dad drank your beer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you hear that. I mean, definitely. I'm not, I, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to be a dick here. Like it's right, just, no, it's, but I, yeah. I think that there there are circles too to those kind of things. And so there was those people that say my dad drank that beer, and there probably still are. But there are also people who are rediscovering strong beers. Yeah. Who maybe grew up on hazy beers or lactose beers and never really were exposed uh, to even a proper lager, and so. Yeah. Uh, they can find those things for the very first time as well. And so they're coming back uh, to the fold as it were. And as they're doing that, one of the things that was, that intrigued me recently was I started to see some of these Instagram posts of uh, really old beer of yours um, that have started to, to, to appear uh, in places. And a lot of your beer is, meant to age and supposed to age well. And, um, you know, certainly some of the bottles that, you know, I probably still have stashed away on the other side of the basement here. Um, I should, I should go and open after we, after we talk it, had I actually been thinking about this, I probably should have just opened one while we were, while we were talking. Um, <laughs> uh, cause those are probably 10 years old at this point. Um, oh, some are almost 30. Yeah. Well, I don't know which ones you have, but, uh, whatever uh, some of the ones the I last sold. time that, that I was hanging out with you, at the brewery, which was, gosh, I don't even know when, but, um, but some of those ones I sold were definitely from the very first years of the brewery. Um, so it turned out that I had, um, I redid the basement of my house. We did a new floor in the basement. So I had to take out all the beer that I had been saving since we opened the brewery. And I discovered that most of it, uh, had, you know, the labels and the boxes had dissolved. And so they weren't really in a, situ- in a state to sell like regular beers, but they were all great beers that I brought home and wanted to save. So I've been sitting on this stack of 50 cases of beer for, well, over 10 years now. Yeah. And I finally decided that we were going to go through there and see what was there and split things up. So we made uh, mystery boxes. Some of the beers had no labels. Some of the beers had labels that you couldn't read some of the beers you could read the labels but they weren't very nice uh rusty caps and uh cobwebs and i sold that that whole batch in like three hours it was amazing amazing. that is amazing did you taste these before they went out no (laughs) because uh, there was no i didn't really know what they were and so the beers that i sell on my website i try to taste all of them and leave tasting notes for each batch. But these beers, there was no way to really taste them all. Some of the beers only had a handful of, yeah. so it really, I didn't sell them for much money. It was basically $5 a bottle and you could have got a batch one. You could have got uh, uh, Eve. You could have got uh, some really rare beers. Uh, but in any case, I think most of the beers were in great shape. And that's one of the things that's been nice about uh, reconnecting with some of the older batches and selling these older beers online is that uh, they are still in great shape. And some of those beers from the very first year are still um, improving. And I think uh, don't need to be drunk right now. They're still going to get better. 
Um, some people uh, look at aging beer as the beer should always be the way it is when it leaves the brewery. Oh. And when it starts to change from that, then it's going downhill. But I think that there is a lot of maturation that happens. And even if the beer doesn't taste the same, uh, it can be a real thrill to drink something that was produced so long ago and um, undergone the changes that these older beers have. Um, uh, all right. So with that in mind, you're talking about some beers that are 30 years old, batch one going out there. Mm -hmm. Did, when you were making those beers, were you even remotely thinking about somebody tasting them for the first time 30 years later? Well, one of my big inspirations was Thomas Hardy's and okay. they said right on the bottle, you know, keep for 25 years. So it definitely was in my mind that I'm trying to make a beer that's going to last for 25 years. Okay. Even though at the time I never had tasted a beer that old. Sure. And now I have Thomas Hardy's that's 30 years old and uh, I'm surprised that they taste so great. <laughs> in the years though, that you've been brewing, Think about batch one and now think about 2021. You've obviously changed and refined your process and you're thinking about things in different ways so that, you know, 30 years from now when, you know, we are much, much, much older um, and, you know, who knows if podcasts will even still be a thing um, or if the world has just been taken over by hard seltzer and kombucha. Um, but 30 years from now, the beers that you're making today do you think they'll be more evolved than the ones that you made 30 years ago that are being drunk today? I do. The, those first couple of years I was in business, I really did not have much of a, a grasp of the whole concept. I was a home brewer that had fancy equipment, and it wasn't even really that fancy. Uh, I was using a chiller that I had made myself, and it used to take uh, an hour and 15, an hour and 20 minutes to cool a batch of beer that I cool in 10 minutes now. And that's a big difference for beer. Uh, you're supposed to cool it as fast as you can. And so it's amazing that the beer, the beers that I made back then are even still drinkable. So I think the ones that we make nowadays are, are better. And, um, you know, we still don't have very fancy equipment, but we do things better than we used to. Can you, can you go a little bit deeper on that? As far as like, doing things better? Yeah. Uh, well, we still use the same uh, kettle and mash ton. And so a lot of the process is still the same as it was uh, 30 years ago. But the heat exchanger is different. And so we definitely improve that. And we have fermenters that are built to be beer fermenters. And so they're sealed against the environment. When I first started, I used dairy tanks that were not sealed against the environment. And especially in the summertime, we had quite a problem with infection. Um, so we don't have those issues quite anymore. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, our lab, you know, we do basic lab work. Uh, at that time, we didn't do any lab work. And so, you know, I like to think I've also learned a little more about brewing than I used to know. Yeah. Uh, there are some parts of the process that are very important and you have to pay a lot of attention to them and other parts of the process that aren't quite as important. So as long as you focus on what's important, then things seem to turn out okay. Do you still prefer bottles over cans? Um, I guess in general, I would think <laughs> a beer uh, will taste better in a, in a bottle. Uh, we do more cans than bottles nowadays. Uh, the cans are much easier uh, they're lighter to ship. In a lot of ways, they're better for the brewer uh, to sell. Yeah. Um, but 30 years from now? <coughs> right. So we still bottle Fred and Adam and yeah. the barrel-aged beers in bottles. And um, I have had some, some delicious strong beers in cans. But for the most part, I think canned beer should be drunk young. And yeah. bottled beer is better for aging. I am I am so thrilled to be hearing the train go past right now because that is that is one of the like the hallmarks of visiting your place is <laughs> how hard up against the tracks you are. And, yeah, it uh, uh, really makes you feel like you're part of the city. <laughs> 
Oh, and then and it's then a working city too. It's easy to forget that there's that whole yeah transit uh, stuff that goes through the city that never even stops in Oregon. It's just going from here to there. Yeah. Um, but we got distracted, or I got distracted by uh, by train whistles. Um, but would you ever put any of those stronger beers to age in cans or? It's just well, yeah. Actually, I was thinking I I make a Doppelbach that I'm really proud of, and last year, uh, uh, maybe it was it was the year before. Yeah, it was the year before last. Yeah. No, no, time no, doesn't last, time doesn't was, exist anymore. <laughs> Whenever we think it's last year, it's essentially 2019. I canned a a lager, a light lager, because you know, as long as I've been a brewer, that's what people have been asking for. Why don't you make a regular beer? And so I have been very successful selling it in my tap room. And I thought, let's put this in a can. Unfortunately, when people shop for my beer in the supermarket, they're not looking for a light lager. They're looking for a strong beer. And I had a hell of a time selling that. Every time I think this is going to be a popular beer and I make a light beer, it, it never materializes. So I thought, well, why don't we can the Stoppelbach? I bet that's what people really want from hair of the dog. Yeah. And so I, mean, I made I a bunch of it. Um, I, I, I actually was planning on canning it now. Um, I think we might keg it all. It pours really well on draft and it's a real popular beer on draft. And so I, I, I might not actually put it in a can after all, maybe next year. More in just a moment, but first a minute with the companies that help keep us on the air. When it comes to printed brewery products, head to Stomp Stickers. The company is a reliable resource for printed items such as beer labels and boxes, keg collars, coasters, and more. Visit stompstickers.com and use code DRINKBEER15 for 15% off your first order. And we're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years to produce some of the world's finest hops. NZ Hops are like no others, unique in their flavors and aromas. Visit nzhops.co.nz to explore more. And now back to Alan Sprints of Hair of the Dog in Portland. Again, I don't live there. So when I visit and I come to your place, like I want your strong beers. I want to go through verticals of Fred, or I want to drink Adam. I want to go through, you know, as, as much of the stuff that I can't get because you don't distribute where I live. Um, but is there, is it a tough sell because a lot of folks think of you as the strong ale brewery? If you put out, you know, a quote unquote regular beer, a light lager, something like that. It, it, is, is that a hard square to circle for some consumers? Uh, apparently so. Yeah, apparently so. Uh, I've tried it a few times. Uh, years ago, we had a beer called Ruth that was a, uh, a light ale, a pale ale. And I thought that was going to be popular. And then we tried Polka Dot, uh, just an IPA. And for some people, those are the only beers of mine they drink. Unfortunately, there's not enough of those people to make it worthwhile to produce all the time. Huh. Uh, so, you know, you kind of have to listen to what the people want and, and produce the beers that they're buying. Uh, I can play around and make a beer that I want to drink once in a while. Uh, but yeah, you really got to make things that people are buying. Well, fortunately, we're small enough that I still get to make the beers that I enjoy. Uh, we're getting ready to release a, a collaboration we did with Firestone Walker. Oh. Uh, it's been in the bottle for almost a year now, and we produced it uh, in 2019. So it's been a couple of years in the barrel. I was going to say, yeah, no, it's not just, yeah. See, everything last year is 2019 because 2020 just went by in a blink. And so it, is apparently this year as well. Yeah. Uh, but that's more exciting. What'd, what'd you make? <laughs> Uh, it's a um, a cherry chocolate bourbon stout. Look at you with the chocolate again. You're uh, it was bring Matt it to the grocery stores. Matt Brindelson's idea, of course. It uh, was. Yeah. And uh, we also we have one barrel that doesn't have the cherries in it, so it's just the chocolate bourbon stout. And I think it's maybe even more delicious than the cherry version. Uh, the cherry version is very lush and and cherry like, but uh, there's something really nice about uh, his stouts and. Yeah, it's 
it's really nice. That's interesting to hear you say, because most people talk about Brendelson and hops, but I've always found that some of the darker beers and some of the, you know, the darker else that he makes um, or has a hand in really have that sort of fun, unidentifiable quality. Maybe just hops are more flashy than malts. Uh, I think Matt is a, a really uh, knowledgeable brewer. And so he knows a lot about everything, but uh, hops get maybe more attention. Uh, I don't even like telling people what variety of hops we use in beers. Uh, I'm not even sure it matters that much. Uh, too many brewers use hops as a selling point. And I don't even know if they could tell what variety of hop was in the beer uh, blind. I, I, I have come to know mosaic only because I don't care for mosaic. <laughs> but, but how you it, use it can affect the way it tastes. Sure. So no, there's, there's only been one or two brewers that have used it where I actually get like the warm pineapple um, or the blueberry uh, that people, you know, try to sell you, uh, you know, sell that, that hop on. Um, but there's only like one or two that I've ever experienced that actually, actually hit that. So, so you don't answer that question. If people ask you what hops are in the beer, or we, you use don't a like variety, we use a variety of hops and actually we don't use the same hops in the same beer all the time. We mix it up, you know, it could be from brew to brew. It could be different hops. We have, uh, I think 12 to 15 different hop varieties. And, uh, I like to mix it up. You know, even if nobody else knows it as a brewer, getting to use a different hop when you brew the same beer is kind of fun. Um, when I used to work at that other brewery making Hefeweizen day after day and using the same hops that day other after brewery. day yeah. after day, yeah, it, it got a little monotonous. And so it's kind of nice to, to mix things up a little bit. Uh, the recipes for the beers are pretty much the same as they've always been, yeah. but the hop varieties change as the years go by. Do you experiment uh, with some of the newer varietals that are out there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have hops that uh, just have numbers. Uh, we have hops that used to just have numbers. Um, my philosophy is that when a hop gets really popular, then it's time for me to look for another hop because they get more expensive. Yeah. And so we started using Amarillo and Simcoe in uh, 2003 in our barley wine and by 2013 uh, they were much more expensive and i thought you know there's other varieties of hops to use we don't need to continue to use those same varieties and you know there are lots and lots of different hops you don't have to use the most popular ones so uh speaking of of popularity and popular styles uh, i have to ask you about beer week Yes. Yeah. I love it. It's your, it's your smoked Martin. Uh, so I, I know that you don't listen to the show and that's fine, but there is, there is a, a huge following of all things Rauk beer. Um, oh yeah. You sent me some stickers. I did. I did send you the stickers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's, no, I think it's uh, great. Uh, they've always gotten, um, uh, a bad rap, I think. Uh, smoked beers can be delicious, and a trip to Bamberg, you know, reinforced that. It really showed me how delicious and how enjoyable it can be to drink smoked beers all night. Uh, it was a little surprising that not all of the beer made in Bamberg is smoked. In yeah. fact, very little of it is smoked. <laughs> it's an uh, outrage. But uh, when I came back from Bamberg, I decided that we needed to uh, make a, a smoked Merzen, uh because, uh, yeah, the one I drank at Trenkler was so delicious that I had to have more. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Beer Week has been uh, a great beer. Um, and I think it surprises a lot of people. Uh, people don't expect those flavors out of beer a lot of times. And uh, uh, I think they're pleasantly surprised. Uh, I was just reading about a Marmite beer the other day from Camden in, in England, okay. and it has some of the same smoky umami flavors, I think, that you find in rock beers. Uh, I can't envision drinking a Marmite beer, but, you know, maybe there are some similarities. Yeah, that would probably be classified as one of the weird beers of the modern <laughs> age. But if you didn't tell people what was in it and they just enjoyed the flavor, yeah, then it wouldn't be so weird. Um, 
All right, enough pandering to to, to that subset of uh, listeners. But um, I, I, on that subject, yeah. I will say to those uh, <laughs> rock beer fans that we yeah. brewed Adam beer in Bamberg. We no brewed uh, we brewed Adam beer with Gonstaller, which is a, a brewery from Bamberg, and Narke, which is a Swedish brewery. Uh, and uh, we made Adam beer in a decoction brewery, a five story brewer house with a, a cool ship on top. And um, I don't think the German brewer felt he could sell it in Germany. And so he sold it to the Swedish brewer. And so all of it uh, was sold by Narke in Sweden. Uh, and hopefully one day I get to taste it. You haven't yet. I have not tasted it yet. Okay. Adam beer has always had smoked malt in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but not necessarily rock malt. It's always been a peat malt. Um, but I have made some examples with up to 50% rock malt in the atom and it's quite delicious you continue to tinker with the styles and kind of you know I, it, you've mentioned now some of the, the the more heritage breweries um which quite frankly i don't really exist in, in in portland anymore uh bridgeport portland brewing company and widmer um are the three that you mentioned early on and i know you called widmer that brewery uh with the hefeweizen <laughs> um <laughs> You know, but like, but a lot of them weren't necessarily tinkering, weren't necessarily uh, trying to shake things up a little bit. It, it, it sounds like you're still all these years in, I don't know, still, I don't know, trying to, I, maybe not like perfect recipes, but just you're not resting on, on the past. No, we're still trying to show people that beer can be something they haven't experienced yet. I don't know if you've had a chance to taste my Don beer. Uh, I made a beer in memory of Don Younger, and it's a double barley wine. It's like over 15% alcohol. No. And uh, quite delicious. Not the kind of beer that Don would have drank every day, but quite as impressive as Don. Yeah. Uh, No, I I, I haven't had it. And, you know, I, 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 I think of Don uh, quite a bit, actually. Um, and I always loved going to Horse Brass. And, um, Last a- night was the 45th anniversary of the opening of the Horse Brass. Really? Yeah. That's one of the reasons that Chris Black was here in town. Okay. We were talking before, uh, before we started uh, recording that uh, Chris Black, uh, formerly of Falling Rock, uh, is on a, a national tour to essentially just have other people pour beer for him. I think it yeah, I think is, is fair enough. Quite envious. He went to Chico and they told him, you know, this, uh, this mural is nice, but it'd be nicer in North Carolina. So now he has to drive to North Carolina. <laughs> poor, poor guy. I, I, such a rough, it's such a beautiful brewery. Uh, it, it, Malt Disney world. It's uh, yes. yeah. Um, God, there's there, there's a dozen things I want to ask you about, and I'm mindful of your time, but it is, I think Sierra Nevada and Falling Rock and Horse Brass and all of these things sort of bring me to legacy and bring me to longevity. And, you know, there are some places that we want to be around forever, um, but there's some places that, you know, go away. Uh, after a time and, 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 and live nicely uh, in the memories of the people who got to experience them. Um, And then, you know, there's places that are going to live on well beyond, you know, our lifetime and our, our, our memories. You've been in this a long time. You've been thinking about, you know, like you, you mentioned, you know, again, Bridgeport, Widmer and Portland, Uh, Bridgeport and Portland are gone. Uh, Widmer, I guess, is there a name? Like I, I don't know the last time I saw Hefeweizen on the on the East Coast. Um, maybe it's still uh, in and around, but you know the. There's not a, a growing brand. No, and and the corporate parent of of that brewery now is more focused on um, a tropical island inspired beer that is brewed on the mainland. Um, so when we when you think about some of those places that that you mentioned early on, and then I don't know what do you, what do you want hair of the dog to be well i mean there was a time where i envisioned my children taking over the brewery and that it would survive uh, for generations 
but I think I was maybe a little naive. They all have their own lives and their own things they want to get into. And the beer world isn't, you know, as easy a place to make a living as it used to be. Uh, and I imagine it's probably going to get tougher as time goes on. Um, so, you know, I think about different scenarios, how will hair of the dog continue? Sometimes I dream about another established brewery buying my brand and making my beers in their facility and distributing them, you know, in more places than I ever could. Sometimes I think about uh, an individual like me who wants to have a brewery who would take over hair of the dog and make it even better than it's been. Uh, and other times I think, well, if I sell it, it's going to go to shit. And so maybe I should not sell it. <laughs> I should just die, let it die. And people can have a memory of what it was instead of being frustrated with what it turned into. But I've got no idea what, what's really going to happen. Um, I guess time will tell. Time will tell. But I put feelers out there. You know, I talk to people and tell them that um, uh, any interest in buying a brewery, I've mentioned to a few of my friends that own big breweries. Uh, I think they always think I'm joking. But part of the reality is that I am I'm maybe too small. Brewers that buy other brewers want a, a brand that has uh, has sales, actually numbers in the books that you can look at. And, and I don't have that. So it takes somebody with a lot of vision yeah. to want to buy a little teeny brand like me. Um, I don't think we've ever made over a thousand barrels in a year. Uh, and so uh, we're an anomaly. And I'm lucky that I've been able to live in this world for as long as I have. Um, we could have gone out of business in the first 10 years quite easily. Quite easily. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll see what the future brings. Uh, you know, never say never. I have this fun vision in my mind right now of uh, Chris Black leaving Oregon, being somewhere in Iowa and hearing a noise in the trunk and it's you stashed away uh, <laughs> trying to get to, to Mills River, North Carolina to convince Ken Grossman to buy out hair of the dog. <laughs> um, there's been a. I've been asking folks on the show for the last couple of weeks uh, here and there um, as the pandemic was, was wearing on my wife and I decided to, to rewatch the good place. And uh, there's this, uh, this, this whole concept of a green door where you can walk through a green door and be anywhere at any time in history with whoever you want. And I've been thinking about that in the beer space. And so if, uh, if, if, if such a, a technology existed on this point of existence, um, and you could end this show and walk through a green door and be at any bar, uh, anywhere in the world with anybody that you wanted, where would you go and who would you be with? Well, I, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, being able to explore beer with Fred when he yeah. was, uh, younger and, and just getting interested in beer. So that'd be the sixties uh with fred that's, Boy, that'd be that's a wild fred time. yeah yeah the, the the dean of american beer journalists yeah and maybe we can meet up with michael jackson and uh, travel around europe and uh, help him write that uh, that great beer book he wrote so yeah that, that kind of thing i miss fred a lot um, yeah he was a great guy and he had a great attitude towards life Mm -hmm. And so outside of the beer world, I think there were lessons to be learned from Fred. Um, but yeah, it'd be really uh, exciting to be able to explore the beer world with him uh, way back when uh, yeah, there wasn't a beer world. Yeah. I was privileged to work with him, albeit briefly, uh, back in my all about beer days. And uh, um, just what a, what a tremendous gentleman and a, a, a great person to work with. Um, do you feel we're losing our beer history or that history isn't being chronicled the right way or at all? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely um, think about that, that uh, history isn't necessarily always accurate, but uh, remembered as the most vocal 
uh, people, um, I guess, presented it. Yeah. Um, I was watching something interesting this morning about science experiments and about some of the hoaxes uh, that have been in the past and about how some people didn't get uh, Nobel Prizes that should have gotten them and why that happened. And yeah, there's all kinds of uh, things behind the scenes that you don't know about. Um, I lost my train of thought. Yeah. It must be this gym I'm drinking. What is Jim? Jim uh, was a beer distributor who lived here in Portland. Um, he passed away uh, maybe 10 years ago, but he was the very first um, Red Hook distributor, the very first Widmer distributor, the very first distributor that exposed me to all these imported beers here in Portland. And he knew the right cigar to have with the right beer. Excuse me, the guy with the mops is here. Ah. Uh, the guy with the what is here? <laughs> I love we're at the end of the show and you've put me on hold, <laughs> just like John Harris. There, there is something about Portland brewers that um, have no respect <laughs> for the sanctity of a broadcast the guy business with the, is business no that's fine the guy with the what is here the uh, mats we have rubber mats in the kitchen we've got some mats when they come in the door he has towels okay so normally he's here in the morning but he didn't come this morning he okay. must be shorthanded so he so he comes and takes the I dirty ones the away and then cleans them and then brings them back yeah yeah gives us new ones takes okay. the old ones away okay um, Jim, you know, was Jim. quite the gentleman. And so I'm, he I'm made a big this all in, by me. the way, I'm just, I'm just keeping this whole thing in and it's just gonna, it's gonna be great. <laughs> um, so when Jim, uh, found out that he had leukemia again for the third time, he decided that he was not going to go through chemotherapy and he had a living wake, uh, at Portland brewing. And it was, it was quite impressionable. What a way to go out, actually be able to say goodbye to everybody. He passed away a few weeks later, uh, and I really wanted to do something to, to kind of memorialize Jim. So I took uh, most of the beers that I produced and blend them together. And then we got some beers that Jim used to distribute, bottles of beer. And uh, we usually add 12 to 15 different beers into Jim every time we make it. So every time we make it, it's a blend of different kinds of beers. Uh -huh. Uh, but it's always uh, as many beers as we can get into gym. Uh, and this one's from 2017. It's on tap right now in our tasting room. And uh, it's quite delicious. You'd That's never amazing. know that it was a blend of so many beers. Uh, it really tastes like one, one beer. I love that you keep names alive and history alive and, um, you know, we're just passing the day of the dead and, you know, remembering uh, people who came before us and uh, keeping memories alive. And you do that with beers so well, uh, probably better than anybody else. Um, in America it's so important. Days. I used to think I was the only one who did it, but uh, Sean Hill at Hill Farmstead has a great tradition of uh, relatives. He names beers after. Yep. Uh, but no, I think it's great to, you know, use beers to remember uh, people that were important to us or things that were important to us like beer week. Yeah. Everybody's got a beer week. <laughs> I mean, it's also a great marketing opportunity for, you know, when you figure out marketing, <laughs> I thought blue dot was going to be like that. Everybody's familiar with a blue dot. We're, we're just a pale blue dot. Uh, oh, anyway, is that what it's for? Okay. Yeah. Carl Sagan quote. Okay. But also something that's easily recognizable. You know, you can buy uh, books of, of blue dots. Um, See, so that was my thought with that one. That was that was a mature uh, brewer thinking about marketing. I hope we can have pints together in person pretty soon. Um, it's been long overdue, but um, I've always enjoyed your beers, and uh, you know, certainly always enjoyed talking with you. And um, Ellen, I can't thank you enough for carving out some time and being on the show this week. Well, it's a pleasure for me, and uh, I feel the same way. Um, we still have a mask mandate here in Oregon, but I look forward to the time where uh, we can forget all about all that and just go on with normal life. Uh, and uh, I think I'll be traveling again, hopefully next year. All right. Well, 
come to the East Coast and uh, we'll we'll have some fun. That sounds great. Sounds like a, an offer. It, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, John. What is the oldest beer you've had and what are you currently cellaring? Let me know by dropping me a line at John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at BeerEdge.com. Or you can join the conversation on Twitter at John underscore Hall. We're also on social media at The Beer Edge. If you love smoked beers, and of course you do, a reminder to check out the This Week in Rauk Beer group on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram at TW Rauk Beer. And if you're interested in advertising, you can reach out to Liz Melby. She's at Liz at BeerEdge.com, and she'll let you know all of the information. Speaking of that, this episode was made possible by the support of NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. And we're also brought to you by Stomp Stickers. Stomp is a proud member of the Brewers Association that produces a wide variety of printed brewery products, such as labels, keg collars, coasters, beer boxes, and much more. Stomp's website features an easy-to-use design tool, low-quantity orders, fast turnaround times, and free domestic shipping. Visit stompstickers.com and use code DRINKBEER15 for 15% off your first order. Don't forget to check out the... Beer Edge podcast that's uh, hosted by Andy Crouch and the Steal This Beer podcast, which has new episodes on every Monday, plus the BYO Nano podcast on the 15th of every month. And also go check out BeerEdge.com to see all that we have going on. As for this particular show, well, Nate Schweber, he does the music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, and I'm John Paul. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.